is an intro. Let's do this. Hello and welcome back to Okay Fine, I'll Watch It, the podcast where I, your host Rahat Sani, discuss incredibly popular media that I've never seen before and am watching for the very first time with someone who loves it. On today's episode, we're talking about Pulp Fiction with Vancouver-based actor and my friend Kennedy Sloan. Oh, and before we jump into it, a quick housekeeping note. We have a brand new podcast Instagram where I will be keeping you all updated on what I'm watching next. So whether what I'm discussing is something that you've seen a thousand times or zero times, you can join in on the fun and go on this journey with me. There's also a community discord and I'll be telling you more about both of these things at the end of the episode. So stick around for that. Okay, without much further ado... Let's get into the episode. Coming in hot from Vancouver, BC, we have Kennedy Sloan. Hi, oh Kennedy. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank I'm you. so excited to have you. And you know what's wild is when I mentioned Pulp Fiction to you, I genuinely was just like, hey, do you like know anybody? And you're like, I love Pulp Fiction. And I was like, God bless. That's like the dream outcome. That's exactly what I had wished for would happen. And then it happened. Oh. That's perfect. I'm so glad you asked then because I would have never been like, hey, have you ever seen this movie like just randomly? Yeah, no, I'm glad. Um, this is I'm going to be real annoying in a lot of people's DMs for the next little while being like, hey, do you like this film? Or hey, do you know anyone who likes this film? Because I'm just trying to find people to talk to. This is also my way of like tricking people into hanging out with me for a while. <laughs> it's like, hey, come on to my podcast. Let's chat. Um, but I'm no, I'm so excited. I'm so glad you're here. And what a what a movie. Hey, yes. what a film. I I kind of love that I got to do this one for the second episode because it's almost a little bit memed on how iconic this film is. Like, it's almost a bit of a joke how iconic this film is. It's almost been turned into its own punchline. Like, oh, your favorite movie. What is it? Let me guess. Pulp Fiction. You know? <laughs> so I think it's kind of an interesting one to chat about. So you like Pulp Fiction. Let's start there. How long have you liked this movie? What's like the first time you watched it? Oh gosh. I, oh, wow. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I was probably, I was too young to be watching Pulp Fiction when I first watched Pulp Fiction. Like, yeah, that that's fair. That tracks. <laughs> I might've been 11 or 12 the first time I saw it. Okay. And I remember I probably saw before that on TV, but like the TV version would have been heavily edited. For sure. Um, <laughs> so There's entire chunks that I'm assuming just weren't on TV. Weren't included, like yeah. the imp scene or... Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, or like there's straight up just a shot of like a syringe going into an arm. And it's like, I don't know if they would have put that on television in the not. 90s. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. And well, and it's funny because I actually would recommend watching this film on the TV edited because if you even just the words that they'll edit, especially for like Samuel Jackson, like some of his, oh, it's hilarious the things they'll edit in because it, it won't make any sense. So instead of like them saying the F word, like it'll come in with them saying like fudge or something <laughs> that makes no sense with what they're saying. And you're like, oh, flipping this. 
Yeah. <laughs> frickin' that. I would love to listen to Samuel L. Jackson say frickin'. I think that's awesome. Right? Like, oh my gosh. And they actually, the F word is said 265 times in this movie. <laughs> so that's how many times they would have had to have edited it just for that one word, not to mention all the other words and topics. Oh, that's aw- That's just, just thinking about the poor fucker. <laughs> Pun intended. That's not a pun. Um, thinking about the poor fucker who has to sit there and censor this film. Just like the person who has to go through and edit every single swear word. Like, my God, what an awful job to have. Oh my gosh. Especially like the person who had to caption it, like to listen to all the words yeah. and be like, Oh no. Oh boy. Which yeah, it's funny because like at this point, because I'm watching it in in the year of someone's lore 2021, because I'm watching it now, like the the swearing is not like gratuitous to me. It's not it barely even phases me. I I probably wouldn't even have recognized how much there is unless we just started talking about how much that would have been. But in the nineties Oh yeah. That was, was probably a lot for people. Yeah. Yeah. And there was there were even um, people because it it was from the states. So there was even um, candidates for office that would run and they would use this movie as like, this is how deplorable our youth is becoming. And like they would use like this film and other films as like catalysts to be like, we need to ban this. And like they said that it glorified heroin and like all sorts of things. And I was like. Like, thinking back now, I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, I my mean, gosh. In a way, like, I guess I, not that I understand it, because I, I mean, I don't agree with that at all. But I also, I mean, America, especially, and the sort of evangelical Christian stronghold that exists within the culture, I can see how people, certain subsect of the of the general public would be outraged mm-hmm. by this film, which I think also propels it into further, like, like legendary status right like for for the fans it probably propels it into like oh that movie people were pissed i mean it's the same reason that i will forever love the the call me by your name like montero music video it's like you know what i mean like a lot of people were pissed off i'm like hell yeah that's a work of art go down in history as epic you know what i mean and i think there's a certain notoriety that's earned by something that pisses off um, really religious or really conservative people. Other people are like, hell yeah, that's my shit. So I, I guess I understand where some of the some of the adoration comes from in that regard in and of itself. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay, so when you watched it, you were quite young. And then have you seen it a lot growing up? I'm assuming you've seen it many times? I've seen it a handful of times, yeah. And it's it's one of the movies that I won't watch it for a couple of years. And then when I do... Oh, I can't stop talking about it. (laughs) Like, I was texting my friend the other day when I was watching it in preparation for this, and Mm. I was just like, because they hadn't watched it either, and I was like, you need to watch it. No, we'll read the script. No, we'll memorize a scene, and we'll run it together, and then you can watch it. Like, I was, like, preparing them, and they're like, okay, well, pick one, because I want to see it too. (laughs) No, definitely. It's funny, because it's funny that you say, like, we'll run a scene from it, because my first itty-bitty little exposure to Pulp Fiction was when... In my acting class a long time ago, in one of my acting classes, in university still actually, it was my first screen acting class because my all of my training was theater before that. So that was like the first little sprinkle of screen acting that I got to do. And I it was like a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, 
this is what I want to do. <laughs> but and before that, we were like, we were, were doing scenes from American media mostly. And my uh, teacher, my awesome prof, Fran, love her. She had this book of these scenes and there's a lot of older content in there, including a scene from Pulp Fiction that two of the guys from the class did. And I remember at that time being like, this is a really fucking fun scene for them. Like, I was jealous. I was like, I want to be in this scene because you it was the scene. Yep, it was the it was the classic Royale with cheese. Like yes. walking upstairs. Like if I give a bitch a foot massage, like that conversation. Yes. Um, and it was very like listening to it for the first time, even just watching two other people perform that scene. Like you can't argue with the fact that it's interesting dialogue it's fun like meaty things to say and like to have as as um preemptively like walking into like a situation where you're going to be killing somebody like to be chatting about all this nonsense is very funny and there's something for sure and like one of my major questions about this film uh is about like you know what makes it iconic long term to to you and to the fans but and, and I want to ask you that, but also like one of my observations to answer that myself, at least, and I want to ask you about it, is the comedy and the violence hmm. side by side. The juxtaposition of those things is so funny, interesting, wild, inappropriate. Um, but I think that's kind of why it works. So, you know, why do you think long term this film has held such like a massive space in, in media and pop culture because it's so referenced, it's so celebrated. So why do you think it is that way? That's an excellent question. <laughs> Yay! No good. pressure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, answer it however you want and know that there's no right answer to this because this is very much one person's opinion and I want to make that clear with everything that I discuss is like I asked somebody about Star Wars last time and it's like there's no one way to feel about Star Wars. You know what I mean? So like there's no one way to feel about this film. So yeah, why do you personally think that it's been so iconic? I think like when I think of Quentin Tarantino and he does this a lot in a lot of his films, he mixes like present day with also the past. And so we have that kind of sentimental um, like trigger. So he'll put in like, you know, there was like, there wasn't an actual score made for the movie. There was like 70s music that was like Mm -hmm. pumped in at different parts. So it kind of like ties in, you have your older generation that lived through the 70s who were like, oh my gosh, I remember that. And oh, it's so funny, it's being used here. And then you also have different styles. So he has different styles of filming that he kind of melds together, which other directors have tried to emulate and mm-hmm. recreate some successful some not so much um, but like the way he does it is so well done and I think the combination of the comedy the comedy almost brings down the violence because there's so much violence especially the car yeah. scene um, oh my god like <laughs> the timing of that of that shot going off was ridiculous ridiculous because the first time I watched it, I, saw it, I saw it twice for this podcast and the first time I saw it I was so shocked that it it like I didn't even know I don't remember if I laughed or not I was just like it was like a <gasps> and then I had to like take a second but I can see like I can't imagine what that was like for audiences in a theater right and like it happened so quickly you weren't ready for it and then all of a sudden they have this comedic bit mm-hmm. between them so it kind of like releases it for you like hey it's it's okay it's not that bad you're still alive sitting in the audience and look at this funny two people talking to one another exactly yeah he uses it almost as like a pressure release and 
it makes you want to watch it again. And like he's been like people have asked him, they're like, why do you have so much violence in your films? You know, what's what's up with that? And like people complain about it. Don't you care? And he said he's like, I don't go to Metallica and ask them to turn down the music. Like, I go there knowing. And he's like, so if you're coming to my movies, you're going to see some violence. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that to to a certain extent, you have to be willing to tolerate violence on screen if you're going to go watch a film made by this person. And, like, even I, who someone who has not engaged in his films up until this point, even I know that. Like, you know, there's certain... Like, it's like I, I would not expect to watch a Sofia Coppola film that doesn't have, like really beautiful like pretty cinematography like it's an essence it's in essence like a part of those films a part of the filmmaking a part of her direction to have like incredibly beautiful like pretty visuals that enriches the film and mm -hmm. I would I mean also like exclusively like white people but like whatever and <laughs> with Quentin Tarantino I would not expect a film that doesn't have like gratuitous violence like it's it's part of the genre pretty much at this point. So Exactly. And he does it in a way that it tells the story. So he's not just like, like some of his films, I can see how people could argue it. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, he doesn't just slaughter a bunch of people for the sake of slaughtering them. There's always some sort of reason or layering to it that like helps with character development or getting the story along to the next bit. Which, like, some movies you go and watch and it's just like, well, we're going to blow up this field over here and slaughter that village. And, right. like, if Quentin does it, it's usually like, okay, well, here's all the reasons why. And it, like, makes them different. Like, the, the scene between Butch and Marcellus mm -hmm. where they're chasing each other with the car. Um, like, super graphic, super intense. And when they end up in the pawn shop, the basement of the pawn shop, it's super graphic and it is very, like, very intense. Um, trigger warning to this movie, obviously. If the you, whole film, really. The whole film. Yeah. If you trigger easily, don't get maybe some don't watch it. Lined up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's so graphic and gritty that that's the only reason why Butch would actually go back and help, spoiler alert, Marcellus. Because, like, <laughs> any other reason he wouldn't he would just leave and like you know that's kind of why yeah yeah it does it does sort of spur on that final moment between them because I think if the situation that Marcellus is in wasn't as bad as it is Butch would just obviously save his own ass and get the fuck out of there so like you know I I understand that to some degree I mean I, I have heard criticisms of other films like not so much about this film but I have heard criticisms of other films like Django Unchained and like m more recent films where people um have talked about his excessive usage of violence and also like excessive like racial slurs and things like that and honestly like I can't speak to it until I watch those films and decide for myself if I think they're excessive but um but, you know, I think in this film anyway, it it was jarring, um, the violence. But I think there's a really expert usage of tension in this film um, with the violence and, like you said, with the comedy. Because, like, that moment where Mia has OD'd and she's sitting in the middle of the floor and it's this awful, awful moment and, you know, she could die. And then she wakes up and the tension is released in this like moment that's almost comedic. And, you know, it's interesting in that moment, you don't see the violence of the syringe actually puncturing her skin. And I think there's something, I took this comedy writing class in at, uh, at school once that 
um it's kind of silly but I took it and um in the class I remember one of the things that we discussed was how distance makes comedy happen like if if you see a man slip on a banana peel down the street and you can't hear his grunt you don't hear his bones crack you don't you don't feel what actually happened to him in pain you're standing at a distance it's funny if you're right next to him and this is a real person that went down right next to you even if it's because of a banana peel you're gonna feel like a little bit empathetically like oh fuck this person could die you know and like I think there's something about the fact that we don't see the violence of the actual needle in that moment entering her chest that makes that moment less intense and it makes it funny when she gets up the way she does and I think the framing of that shot with the four people with all the people sitting like all around her and then they all like lean in at the same time together it's very classic like comedy movements very classic like like scene choreography to make that moment way lighter than I think it's almost like a sitcom moment like a yeah very much so has sitcom energy yeah and it's it's funny because that scene was shot so the needle in the chest scene it was shot in reverse so that's that's like they shot it but like when we watch it it was actually filmed in reverse so he has it's a push in needle and he has it already on her chest and then pulls it out and like that's how they were able to capture it interesting Um, okay yeah because that movement happens and it's so smooth that that actually makes sense yeah right (laughs) and the guy who plays the drug dealer i want to say his name was lawrence um something like that yeah it was something with an l lance maybe lance thank you um he Quentin Tarantino was trying to figure out if he wanted to be that character or Jimmy, the character he ends up being in the film. Mm -hmm. But because he wanted to be directing and behind the camera for that scene specifically, that's why he chose Jimmy and the other actor got to be Lance. Yeah, seeing him in the film was very uh, was very wild. I I did like the character he played. I liked I liked that this guy was just like, hey man, I can't have my wife leave me. Okay, please get this dead body out of my garage. I thought that was uh again. It's like the 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 situation is so absurd that the mm-hmm. violence becomes like secondary. Like there's a yeah. dead man in that car, but that's not the issue. The issue is we got to get this car out of here because the wife's coming home. Yeah, like and then you see Jules and Vincent in their their shorts and t-shirt and yes. like getting hosed down. Like it's funny. It is. But you're like, oh yeah, there's a dead person in the car and they're scooping up brain matter, but they're in shorts and they look funny. They look silly. They look so goofy. Yeah, and like the way he tells the story because we already know at that point we've already seen them go and meet Marcellus and Marcellus is like what the hell are you guys wearing? Yeah. Like we know. We're like, "Oh, this is how they get into the shorts." Yeah, there yeah. is something to be said for yeah, the the interesting usage of timeline and setting up the story in the order that they did. I really enjoyed it. Um I also liked coming back around cuz I, you know, I think the greatest character arc is Samuel L. Jackson's. He's the one that goes through the biggest change, I think. I mean, I think every obviously every character changes it wouldn't be a great story otherwise, but um but you know, I think that Samuel L. Jackson's decision to leave this life is a pretty major one considering all the violence that not only he's uh witness to but that he um commits himself. It's it's definitely a major decision in his life. And so to come to that conclusion and to have that discussion of that specific Bible verse, I was really excited to see him break that down and dis- decipher what that means 
to him and why he's been saying it. Because I'll be honest, when people talk about Bible verses, I tune out. I If somebody's quoting the Bible, I can't, I did not hear it. It went one ear out the other. I don't know what you said. The Lord, the son, the father, the ghost, the whatever. I didn't hear it. I'm sorry. I can't pay attention for that long. But it was, it was interesting when he came back around to it. Mm-hmm. It was and satisfying to me. I would say about the Bible verse, I actually grew up um, and I, I know quite a bit about the Bible. Okay, cool. Uh, nice. That's um, awesome for me. Go yeah. <laughs> Just a different perspective here. Exactly. Um, but the Bible verse that he's quoting doesn't actually exist like that. Okay. Okay. But like there is an Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, but it's different. And so like they took him and um, Quentin Tarantino took liberties with it um, and added um, some flair mm-hmm. that they felt would go well. And it's, it's actually like him quoting that is like helped really shoot him into stardom. Um, this this movie specifically like he had done some plays and some other smaller movies kind of thing. But like this was what officially like launched his career like that's what I would say um yeah and he like was nominated for awards and everything like people were like he was the hot shit when I mean and he deserves it because his performance in this film is incredible so and he almost didn't get it he almost didn't get it it almost went to I want to say Lawrence Fishburne or no Lawrence Fishburne turned it down and like it's funny because Quentin Tarantino wrote it in mind for Jackson to be in it and then his first audition, he tanked. He did not do well. Oh. And then I think it was, I want to say Harvey Weinstein. Boo. I know. Go on. <laughs> He's all over this film. He helped get it to light. And that I, and tracks. I, yeah. Um, but he convinced Quint, Quint, oh my gosh, his name, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> oh, say that five times fast with the no, like, marbles thank you. <laughs> Yeah, they do the, do that at schools where they're like, Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino, Quentin. <laughs> it's a little tongue twister. There just, we go. Yeah, just a little exercise. <laughs> um, but he, Harvey Weinstein convinced him to see him again. And in his second um, audition, his callback, he actually brought a hamburger and fries to his his audition and he ate them so vigorously they were scared they were like oh my gosh like he's gonna like he's gonna destroy everything (laughs) but like that's what got him the role and it's so interesting like he almost didn't get it it was offered to other people same thing with Mia like Uma Thurman like Mm -hmm. um Quentin Tarantino oh my word this is gonna be the thing (laughs) of this podcast how many times we can call him QT QT yeah (laughs) he really wanted Uma but like it almost went to, there's like a whole slew of them, like Julia Lewis-Dreyfus. Mm. Um, and she didn't get it because like of Seinfeld. Like she was too busy filming with it. And I, right. I, I try and imagine because like just thinking of her getting it, it just kind of feels, I, 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 it just would be different. And same with like Halle Berry, Meg Ryan, um, Daryl Hannah, Joan Cusack, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Like they all were considered for that role. Or like we're tossed around like name wise for it, mm-hmm. and I, I just can't imagine it without Uma Thurman. Yeah, I mean at this point, I think it's so cemented in pop culture in the way that it is. I think Uma Thurman is the reason that I was even interested in this movie because that's the reason I knew about the film. Like her iconic look with the with the white te- with the white button up and the and the wig, like. I'm like, yeah, that's Pulp Fiction. In fact, I expected her to be in way more of the movie. I was like, where's where'd she go? <laughs> like, right. Once, the, once that section of the film was over, I was like, uh, come back. And yeah. they used her for for all of like the advertising. Yeah, so that's why I thought said. she was going to be in the whole thing. 
Yeah, no. And it's it's so interesting because it's her on a bed with, like, a gun, and she even has, like, a Pulp Fiction. So, like, the, the name of the film is about, like, the books um, that used to be super popular, or it was around, like, the 1930s, so, like, way back then, um, or 1920s. I could be Whatever wrong. popularity meant back then. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, that was their big media push, which was they were selling sex and drugs and violence all in that one shot. So it's right. like they're not going to stick, like, they're not going to put all the dudes that are in the film <laughs> on it because that's not going to sell the same thing. And, like, the amount of people who dressed up as her for Halloween, ridiculous. Oh, I'm thinking about doing it right now. Right? I'm yeah. like, the first Halloween out of this freaking panoramic, I'm about to put on a, an, a wig. I mean, my hair's, like, sort of the right length, but I don't have bangs. <laughs> so I'm about to go get a wig. I'm about to put on a white button down because, A, simple Halloween costume. You love to see it. And also, because it's iconic. Like, I can see why. I... I, yeah, I was expecting, I think especially because of the promotional material, I was expecting yeah. her to be in a lot more of the film. But, I mean, that's not that surprising. Ultimately, yeah. it is a film that was made in the 90s, and she's not a lead, but she is she is what they sold to the audience. Exactly. And it's so funny because when I watched it the other day, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I messaged a friend and I was like, hey, we're going to dress up for Halloween as Vincent and Quint- uh, um, and Samuel Jackson when they get the shorts and the t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> that yes! should be our outfits. <laughs> yes, it should. That's freaking awesome. I love that. Oh my God. <sighs> Which also John Travolta in this film is so funny. I love that his great downfall he like he died the same way that he lived being in the bathroom at the absolute worst time like every single time i'm like of course he died because he went to go take a shit that's where he always is every time anything's happening he's in the fucking bathroom bro get out of the bathroom there's stuff going on what are you doing reese and that that became a thing that became a thing it was like any time in the film that he dismissed like is like oh i'm gonna go to the bathroom like he says it to uma thurman i'm gonna go take a piss and she goes yeah it's more information than i need but go right ahead she ends up ODing in Mm -hmm. the diner i'm gonna go take a shit which is also ties into the fact that he's a heroin addict and like that causes constipation so it like Uh... it's little things and like that's when they get held up at gunpoint Mm -hmm. and then he goes to go to the bathroom when they're at the guy's place and he gets shot which also he left his gun outside well fun fact fun fact yes please i love facts (laughs) well i I shouldn't say fun fact it's it's (laughs) speculation maybe it is confirmed but the idea is that marcellus was actually with him and he went to go get coffee and donuts while vince was in the bathroom so that's what fans believe is Marcellus's gun, but then when he was coming back with the donuts and coffee, that's when Butch ran into him with his car. Right. I was wondering, okay, because it was funny how we hadn't seen Marcellus's face until that point, mm-hmm. and so I was like, "Are we sure that's him?" Like, <laughs> I didn't believe it because it said because I always watch stuff with subtitles, so I didn't. Uh, it said like Marcellus on the screen, and so I was like, "Are we sure though? Like, he's got the earrings, <laughs> but like, what is he doing? What's he grabbing coffee for? Like, he's a mo- he's like a mob boss. What is right. he doing walking?" I because I genuinely didn't believe that he would just be like a pedestrian. <laughs> like, I, for some reason, that's the part that was like unreasonable 
questionable to me. I was like, why is he just walking around? Where's his posse? What's going on? I love that. That out of everything in the movie, that's what gave you great posse. Yeah, I was like, hang on. I've been suspending my disbelief for this long, but why is Marcellus Wallace walking around on these here streets? Where, like, where? what is he up to? Why is he doing that? You know what? When a motherfucker wants donuts and coffee, you go hey. get them. You got to do what you got to do. I I understand. Also, okay, this is a second, like, sort of a pivot. Mm -hmm. But I know, okay, there's so many people in Hollywood with fetishes that they love to put on screen that um, it's hard to keep track. So uh, Quentin Tarantino has a thing for feet, right? I'm asking this purely based on this one film's viewing experience. Let it be known, I did not do research on this, so if there's already a public opinion, this is me trying to find out, because there was way too many shots of women's feet for this to be (laughs) just like a regular movie. So is that a thing? I I don't know personally. Okay, but I think I it mean, plays. Yeah, how could we? <laughs> like I've 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 never met the man. If he wants to massage my feet, hello QT. I'm yeah, ready. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Just a foot massage. Just a foot yeah, massage. Hey, they say it means nothing until you get thrown out a window. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But that's another thing. It's like they talk about the sensuality of the film yes. and the sexuality. And that's a big thing in the beginning is they talk about a foot massage. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what ties a lot of it in and how it's like bringing up the sexuality in the film is the shots of the women's feet. And even the one um, character, Butch's... Um, I can't remember her name. It's escaping me right now. Um, it's some. It's a French name. He calls her Lemon Tart and and <laughs> Blueberry pie. pie and like gives yeah. her all these names. Never her actual name. Yeah, um, which is so funny because he ends up yelling it a lot. He's like, "We have to go." Yeah, she's yeah. like, "What is this?" And he's like, "Baby, we have got to leave." She's like, "Are oh. you hurt?" And he's like, "We gotta get the fuck out of here." Right? He shows up. He shows up without her car on a motorcycle. She has never. seen and like looks disheveled probably smells disgusting has been missing for the longest time and he's like we need to leave and she goes what is wrong (laughs) what what you get on that motorcycle okay it's like there there will be time for questions later baby we got to get out of town where's my car oh i i love and i love the dialogue from bruce willis he's like oh honey i had to crash that like yeah he's just like oh he's like subtly like yeah i crashed it it's gone i like that i like that he's honest about it you know he's not like i got into an accident he's like i had to crash it which is accurate. At least it's, it's the truth. Yeah. It's the and truth. Like, it's what he had to do. Oh, if you, if anyone who's listening is curious about acting and like stillness in acting, watch this movie and watch Bruce Willis. His first scene. His first scene, he is sitting there listening and he mm-hmm. barely moves. Barely oh, yeah. moves. And I, I watched it a couple times yesterday because I was like trying to see how long. And it's minutes long that he doesn't move because Marcellus is talking. And I I was blown away at how still he could be and comfortable. But it was still like engaging to just. It was still active. Yeah. It was like active stillness. It yeah. was very, very interesting to watch. Because, yeah, I saw it the second time today and I was really watching him in that scene. And how much information we get from him about. Because, you know, the first time I saw it through, I didn't know that he was gonna throw the fight you know and like win so um spoilers but um (laughs) I didn't know at the time that he you know that he that was his plan so I was looking I was really watching him to see if that comes across at Mm. that point Mm -hmm. you know and like of course it doesn't because he's having a conversation with the man who's paying him to throw the fight in the other direction so like 
I uh, I'm saying throw the fight a lot as if I know what that means. Um, but I <laughs> but like I I was really curious about watching him really carefully and like seeing what if I can see the wheels turning behind his head and like you can't but you can and it's very very well done yeah. and I've never seen Bruce Willis act before but I thought that was that was really interesting in that moment I think of all of the performances in this film oh yeah so well done and like just there's so many things that make a great great film like editing writing directing mm -hmm. like set even costuming can like take yeah. it to another level and like it just everything hit the mark like it was so good um it's just it's amazing to watch and how many like bruce willis at the time was a huge actor he was a blockbuster but the last couple okay. films he had done were they they weren't that great or like well received i should say sorry bruce if you're listening i'm not trying to shit on you um, bruce willis, if you're listening to my podcast don't be mad please oh dear lord please do not um but he he did this film which technically would have been considered like I would say the equivalent to like an indie film mm -hmm. and like everybody took pay cuts to do it, but it actually sparked a new phenomenon in the film world where big blockbuster stars would then do smaller budget projects. And, and that was like pretty much unheard of. Like that wasn't really a big thing back then. And so he did it and he took a big gamble and it paid off and like, because he did that, a lot of other stars were like, oh, well, I'll do that, too. And it, like, kind of started a new, like, you know, you don't have to just be a Marvel blockbuster. You can also do some other things as well on the side. Um, which right. was, It's neat because I find a lot of the times you get to tell more of a story in the independent films, mm -hmm. in my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think for sure, like, extremely commercial cinema just got a whole other thing going. Yeah. Like, it's just, a, it's just a different sport, I think, than the people who are in the business of, like, just telling stories for the sake of telling stories. Which, yeah, it's interesting to think about now that at this point, Quentin Tarantino was not as well known. Right? Yeah, which, like, I mean, even I, not having watched the films he's produced, I do know that he's a big name for a lot of oh, people we'll get you on reservoir dogs we'll get kill bill one and two and Inglourious i'm Masters. excited about yeah i'm excited about the kill bills oh. i am because i want to watch some women fuck some shit up oh, like, this, oh this movie was fine it was nice i liked it okay men doing violence is a little cliche we know men are violent okay give me some women fucking some shit up and then i'm into it oh my gosh you know? It's, you're gonna I love, love to it. watch it. Yeah. I love to watch women fuck some shit up. Not that's, just one movie, that's my thing. but two movies. Two movies. No. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back around to the Kill Bills. It's going <laughs> to happen. Yeah, let's talk briefly about the women in this film because there's not that many of them, but they are very important. I think especially Uma Thurman. I, I'm curious about um, the other female characters, though, and the treatment of them. What do you think about the other female characters in the movie? Well, that's a great, great question. Very also a, like a hot topic, especially with Quentin Tarantino. He gets that a lot with his films about, especially like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I remember people were giving him flack because it is a very male-dominated film mm -hmm. um, in the sense that the characters that are seen, like Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, have a lot of speaking parts throughout it. Um, and I remember a reporter asked him about Margot Robbie's character and how, like, she barely had any dialogue. Yeah. And 
He got very upset and basically told them to fuck off. Um, oh, that's always good. That's always a good yeah. way to respond to criticism. That's valid. <laughs> and, it, you know, I like I watched that movie and I remember noticing that. I was like, she doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but she still has screen time. And in the sense that it was like her character didn't need to say things because I think what he was trying to do was to give her more of like a... We know what happens to her character in real life, Sharon Tate. We know that she's brutally murdered and it's very, very sad. Mm -hmm. And I think it was more of like an homage of like, here she is like watching a movie in the theaters and she's just laughing and enjoying her life. And I really liked that. And I thought that was so sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But with (laughs) with this movie, (laughs) with Pulp Fiction, the one that irritates me the most would probably be Lance's wife, the drug dealer's yeah. wife. That one got to me too. Oh, when he, when she, oh, I can't. <laughs> he, <rage>. like, <laughs> he asks her to bring him baggies and she brings them in and he literally grabs them from her and just shoves her out of, like, physically shoves her and shuts the door in her face. Yeah. Even said she's like, thank you, like, yeah. like thank you, Cody, and he just is like, whatever, like get out of here. And it's so, I don't know if that's what he's like all the time. If that's what he was trying to seem like in front of a client, like, like a, like a, I don't want to say an assassin, but like a, a, a bodyguard per se, or like a, what would you call it, hitman? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah, he's trying to seem cooler or macho because even when he's talking about the drugs, he's like, "Yeah, this one's three hundred, and they're they're both the same, but this one's five hundred, and you'll know why." Yeah. But then in the other scene with the OD, he's literally running around the apartment like Jody, Jody, <laughs> like he's like screaming for his medical book, and like Jody's like, "I don't know what you're talking about. There's never been a medical book. Like what?" And she's and like, he- "How the fuck are you gonna find anything in this place? It's a mess." And everyone's, <laughs> I mean, she is not being helpful. Yes, but also like. It, it she it's not so like it's not her responsibility. Oh, hundred percent. And even like in that moment, he's when he gets the call from Vincent, he's just like, "Don't bring her here. No, you're not bringing her. I don't know who you are." And I love. It also takes you back in the times with cell phones. The cell phone John Travolta yeah. pulls out. Oh my god! It's like the size of a like an a brick. Arm. It's fucking nuts. I love it. I remember when my dad had a cell phone like the size of his arm, and I, I used to think that it was like so cool. Right. Like, the fact that I was like, "Oh my god, that phone doesn't have a tail. Nuts. I don't get where that comes." from how do you get the call where does it come from <laughs> it's in the air oh. nuts i was i was gonna say it's so funny because he he even says at one point and this kind of ties into the paranoia of cell phones when they first came out where he says he's like you called me on a cell phone and then he's loudly like i don't know who you are because he believes that the government was listening in and the authorities <laughs> have him on tape which like granted he's a drug dealer so he's gonna be paranoid but like i just that shows his character of how he is around Vince, like this strong white male, um, and then how he is with women in yeah. front of him, and also like how normal that kind of treatment of women is, also. Yeah, and I wonder how many people watched that movie and like 
like like you said, they would be like, oh, like the rape scene bothers me, the the um, racial slurs bother me, and it's like, does the treatment of women bother you? Because it probably should. Like I'm not trying <laughs> to compare, a little bit. but mm. yeah, of course, it's not the it's him being shoving her out of a door is not the same as like someone else being sexually assaulted. But that being said, it is like to me, obviously, anytime I watch a film, I, hey, believe it or not, anytime I watch a film, I'm thinking about the ladies. Hey, <laughs> I'll put it out there. <laughs> anytime I watch a film, I'm thinking about the women almost. Yeah exclusively yeah. but um but like obviously so much of this movie is men and that's like i i understand and i'm not here only to criticize that but i do think that the women that are there like what part they play in the story and what part they don't like with i love the little conversation between jody and the and the person with the bong when they were talking about piercings i love that little conversation but like it was very short but i liked it because it's just like two women talking about shit i love that um and of course it adds to the to the story in certain ways um but yeah i did think that like anyone except for uma thurman was treated a bit like a plot point yeah um or as just like a completely like like i i thought it was so interesting the like female cab driver yes i i I was really curious about her i didn't know like what to think of her really or like what like what is your opinion on her so she was an interesting one because when i was i was doing some research on it they had talked about her character and how she was actually from a TV show. I don't know. Oh my gosh, I could be dead wrong with how I'm describing this. This is how I read it. But her character was actually like the actor played a cab driver who was fascinated by murder. But mm. oh my gosh, I could be dead wrong. And I don't want to feed everybody the wrong. Ah, I'll believe you no matter what you say. Your word <laughs> is gospel to me, Kennedy. So say whatever you want. <laughs> I like the fact that, like, one, when I watched it, I was like, well, I don't believe this is like, you know, when you were like um, the, the Marcellus getting donuts and coffee for you took you out. Yeah. She took me out because I was like, I have only had one driver who was female and it was an Uber and it was last month in the like years that I have been alive. Yeah. Never, never was. No, same. Same. I literally the soon as soon as she was the cab driver, I was like, I'm sorry. In what world? Yeah. In what world is a woman, especially that young, especially that beautiful, driving a cab? I know. And not to say that, like, all cab drivers are, but, like... Yeah, no. But it's just not... That's... Our society is not... No. (laughs) No. And in what world would she, like... Like, yeah, late at night be picking up a solo guy? Like, I don't know. Something about it was, like, extremely, like, okay, well, this is a movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's fine. It's the whole thing is. But, yeah, I, okay. And you know what sealed the deal for me when it comes to the fucking foot fetish thing? Where I was like, okay, I haven't heard this explicitly. Like, I think I have maybe the whole Quentin Tarantino is into feet thing. (laughs) But the thing that sealed me, sealed me, sold me on that was the, the shot of her foot on the gas pedal. Oh, it's just her bare foot, like hitting the accelerator. And I was like, hey, man, what? Why are they bare? Why is she not wearing shoes while driving a cab? Maybe I thought that was strange. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because I remember seeing that the other day and I was like, that's bizarre. But now I'm thinking of how like it's like supposed to be like sensual. Like a lot of the times, like cars are a very manly thing, and it's like it's supposed to be an extension of their manhood and all that stuff. That's why they hang balls from their trucks. Um, but like, oh, this car, this is actually my dick. Yeah. <laughs> 
And like she's pressing on it with her bare feet. Like I would never be barefoot in a car. No. Oh my God. Okay. Small tangent. Jesus. Okay. I'm going to tell you a little thing and then we'll finish this section. Okay. But I, um, I, okay. So I got into a pretty bad car accident a few years mm-hmm. ago, like three months after I started driving at all. And thankfully everyone was fine. And the major damage was just to the vehicle. It actually got totaled. RIP my first car. And I remember that I had just gotten a pedicure (laughs) and it was like after a month and I was like taking my friend and I had gone out for a pedicure right before the accident. So I was wearing those like shitty flip flops that they give you at the pedicure place. And when I started driving, they felt more hazard than helpful. So I took them off. So I was driving barefoot because I wasn't going to put my feet inside my regular shoes. I can't can't afford the new nail polish. (laughs) And so I was like, it's fine. I'm just going to drive with my bare feet. And then I got into an accident and it was bad. And there was firefighters and cops and the ambulance. And I remember the firefighters were the first ones there. And they asked me to get out of the car once they had like secured the area. And they were like, it's safe to get out of the car. You can step out. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, I can't. I can't step out because if I do, they're going to know I was driving without shoes. And that's why they're going to arrest me. (laughs) I don't know why. I was like, that's a crime. (laughs) Driving without shoes on has got to be a crime. The rest of it can be up for debate. (laughs) Okay, whatever mistakes I made, I made. But the the driving without shoes, I was like, they're going to they're going to book me. Like, I was so terrified. For some reason, that was the one thought in my head. I was like, they can't know that I wasn't wearing shoes. I love that because I think it's actually worse to drive in flip flops because then you're you're the flip of the flop will get. I don't think we'll get it'll get stuck stuck, theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I don't know what the hell was going on in my head. But when I watched her barefoot on the gas pedal, that was my first thought was like, hey, that's illegal. (laughs) (laughs) BT dubs. It's illegal. Yeah. I mean, you are also driving around a murderer, I guess. So there's that. Yeah. But Um, yeah, I sorry. I was going to say I was going to bring it back to uh, Jody and like that scene where it first shows her and um, the person who's um, with her. I can't remember her name. Um, Mm -hmm. she's the one who smokes the bong in the OD scene, but she, their opening scene together is talking about a needle and how intimate it is with the flesh. And it's so funny because that's their two scenes is that, and then the OD scene. And like, I think that's such an interesting, like, yeah, he didn't give her a foot massage, but damn, if he stabbed her with a needle. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Turns your whole body into the tip of a penis is what they say. Like a very phallic (laughs) thing. (laughs) And like, I just, I love that like comparison of like, you have two women who like are talking about piercings and like, she, like Vincent even said, he's like, why would you get the stud in your tongue? And she was like, oh, blowjobs, oral's great with it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, huh. Like, never in his life would he be like, yeah, I'm going to get a stud, so when I eat you out, you're going to love it. Yeah, and, you know, ultimately comes back around to Travolta doing the ultimate piercing um, on, on, on Uma Thurman. Yeah, pierced straight into the heart. There's a song in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's very, uh, very interesting. At this point, though, because it's so cemented in media like Tarantino's identity um, as a filmmaker there's a whole group of people that identify themselves as Tarantino fans Uh, would you say that you are like a fan of Tarantino as like a filmmaker beyond this film well I would say that 
I know that when he puts out a film, I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to go see that. And I'm really bad at seeing new films. So the fact that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to the theaters. Well, back when we did, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to actually go to a theater. I'm going to buy a ticket. I'm going to sit crowded amongst people and like watch it. And I did that for the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I like everything, Inglorious Bastards. Um, I think Hateful Eight I watched on Netflix, but it was still like... When he puts something out, I know I'm going to want to watch it, and I know I'm going to pay attention the whole time. I'm not going to get on my phone. I'm not going to start doing, like, Angry Birds. I've never actually played Angry Birds. But I'm not going like, to... I'm not going to time travel to 2008 to go play Angry Birds. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what do people do on their phones? Angry Birds. <laughs> 2008 might be a little too much. Maybe it's 2012 is where... Uh, when did people play that game? Anyway, not the point. For me, it was never, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. <laughs> But, like, for me, I would say I am a fan of him, but I'm not, like, the diehard fan because I like to I, – I, I, I remind myself that these are also humans. They're also people. So, like, one of the things is that there has – like, Uma Thurman and him had a really good – like, there's directors who like their actors, and they will make multiple movies with the same actor. Uma Thurman was one of them. They worked on a bunch of different projects, but it has come out that they have had some issues and all that thing. And, like, I don't know the whole deal. I wasn't there. I don't know them personally. But, like, I try to keep in mind, like, yes, they're human, so they will be flawed. But at the same day, I'm like, oh, he's going to make a movie, and I know I'm going to like it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, like, that's understandable. I I do take, I think, some issue with people in general that, that try to idolize any humans. I think idolizing humans is just, like, a bad idea. Just, like, get ahead of it yourself and maybe don't do that because <laughs> they, will, they will disappoint you. Like, God forbid anybody idolize me ever because, my God, am I not perfect. Oh I'm my. very far from it. Like, baby, I'm going to be famous one day. I'll put her out there. I'm manifesting it right now. <laughs> and when I am, like, holy shit, don't put me on a pedestal only to topple me at some point because I'll make a mistake probably. Yeah, and it's, it's sad because it almost feels like that's how we are in our society now. It's like we're almost waiting for... For people to fuck up and it's 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 we're like a bunch of lions we're just like yeah you fucked up and now we're gonna shred you how dare you and it's like pretty sure you shouldn't cast the first stone coming back to our bible yeah. verses yeah <laughs> is that a bible verse it, it um so jesus actually says it to a group of men who are actually about to stone a woman and he says he who is without sin cast let he who is without sin cast the first stone and then apparently he started writing in the sand. And from what I remember, this is, we're dusting off some cobwebs here. Okay. Um, what I remember is he started writing in the sand. And nobody remembers what was written in the sand. But slowly as he wrote more and more, more and more men left. And by crowd, I meant men. They were going to mm -hmm. kill her because she was an adulterer. The man <gasps> she was adultering with, apparently, was not around. Oh, yeah. curious case yeah. of the missing man. <laughs> they were letting him off the hook. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. But, like, it's said that he was writing in different ways of sinning. And so, one by one, they left after he wrote all the sins they would have done. Um, right. But that's kind of how we are with our society. I love how we've gotten so sidetracked. It's okay. I mean, it's a it's a podcast. We're here to talk about whatever we want. Yeah. But I, I, I was going to say, it ties in with the movie in the sense that, like, nobody in this movie is without sin everybody yeah. and at different walks of life and like different like types of like financial status they all in some way are guilty definitely definitely and and i think the 
that Bible verse that they made up, which by the way, I can imagine the fact that they like partially made up a Bible verse for sure pissed a lot of Christians off. They're like, that's not the word of the Lord. Um, that's not Ezekiel. That's a, that's not what they said, um, whoever they were. But yeah, no, I can imagine that that pissed a lot of people off, but also that, that inherent um, Christianity that is ever present in this and the, the discussion of sin and shepherd and good and mm-hmm. evil um, surrounding, you know, because there's so much death and there's so much violence that you have to consider the whole like well who's allowed to take a life angle of everything you know like we get to especially even as audience members we get to decide like who should live or die based on the moment based on the tension for ourselves like oh how do we want the situation to be resolved somebody's gonna die how's it gonna go you know and so like it puts us in the position to almost not decide, but await the decision. And in that meantime, consider our own moral affliction with it all, which maybe there isn't one. Maybe yeah. you have no moral affliction with the violence. And I, that's interesting. You should maybe think about that. But um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something, this film. So what's your like favorite fun facts about Pulp Fiction? Oh because you said you have fun facts and I love that because to me, the experience of watching the film is its own thing, but the experience of talking to a fan who knows a lot about the film is its own thing. So what do you love about this film in regards to anything outside of the actual movie, or even if it is within the actual movie? Okay, well, oh my gosh, this is super exciting. Yeah. Um, like, the fun facts that I know are more so in the casting and little bits of the story. So, okay. like, the role of Jody. So that is um, the woman who has all the piercings. She's the wife of the drug dealer, Lance. Yes. Almost like Ellen DeGeneres went out for that role. (gasps) (laughs) Right? Oh my God. I would pay so much money to watch Ellen DeGeneres talk about like a clit piercing. Right? (laughs) So happy to think about. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, go on. That's a great one to start with. Holy Yeah. <laughs> Alternatively, I would love to watch a woman with like a million piercings have a talk show on daytime television where she gives away thousands and thousands of dollars and like is mean to everyone she works with, I guess. But, <laughs> but that's like, that's very funny to think of her being in that show at that time. Right. And like the humor that she has, like, I, I just wonder like how differently it would have played. Would she be able to act that? Because like, I... I'm going to be honest, I don't really know much about her acting career besides her her TV show that she had in the 90s. So Yeah, the one where she like came out, right? Called Ellen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I never saw it. I know it was a big deal, but I never watched it. Maybe that'll be a podcast. No, it won't. Okay. Yeah. The- <laughs> Go ahead. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I was going to mention, um, so there's the scene where Mia and Vince come into the home and it's after the dancing and they're holding the trophy. Um, yes. So it's insinuated that they won. But if you ever watch it and actually watch their dancing, you're like, there's no way you guys won. Like, there's no, just, it no, sucked. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was, like, it, it became an iconic moment, but at the same time, no. <laughs> no, I was watching them and I was like, damn, I really thought this was going to be better. Like, right? <laughs> you guys are okay, I guess, but it's not, <laughs> not that trophy good. trophy worthy. No, no. If I was in that place, I would absolutely not give you guys the prize. I don't know. I don't even, I, I don't even need to look at the other contestants to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it said, um, so they walk in with a trophy. It's said that later on in the movie, it's either, I think you hear it on the radio. Um, it's that the dance trophy was stolen. So they stole it. Like they didn't actually earn it. They just walk in with it stolen. And so that's how they ended up getting it. I think it was the, the, um, 
Um, it's when Butch is returning to get his watch. It's on a radio like bulletin like update, and it's okay. about the trophy having been stolen. So it's like that's like a little Easter egg. There's so many, and that's the thing with Quentin Tarantino's movies. Every time you watch them, there's more that you're gonna learn. Like I, this is probably something I'm gonna watch for another twenty years at the very least, and like each time I learn something new or I notice something else, um, like. Marcellus and Mia never actually speak on str- on screen. So like Uma Thurman doesn't actually talk to the the drug lord, her husband. Mm-hmm. Like their husband and wife, but they never talk. The whole movie, they, ne- they never talk to each other at all. Like the scenes where they're at like the pool, they don't talk to one another. Mm-hmm. They're just there. <laughs> like what? That is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, I was curious about their relationship, their dynamic. I also, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's common for mob bosses to be like, "Hey, take my wife out to dinner." say ya like I don't know if that's normal but also I was like if 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 theoretically this man is so possessive over his wife that like he would throw someone out of a window for touching her feet then like should she be hanging out with other people which also like is that contested like the actual story of what happened there does anybody have a theory on what actually happened there I'm sure a lot of people have theories on what happened there. Okay. Because it's like when when Vince finally, or Vincent, he finally says to her in like the car restaurant, which by the way, that restaurant is so cool. I would love to yeah. go to that restaurant. That oh. was, I was like this, the place full of like movie characters. I will say that if I were there, I would be very lost because every word they said, I was like, huh? Who's that? What's that? They were like the the Douglas Cirque steak. I was like, who that? I don't know that. And then like every single thing they named, I was like, I recognize Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and that is all. But I still think like aesthetically, it was very cool. And I like the cars to eat in, on a table inside a car, I think is very fun. It's just really cool. Oh, I was talking about how um, Mia and Vincent asks her. He's like, hey, like, did this actually happen? Like, because yes. he says, like, some would even say this and some would even go as far as this. And she's just like, is that what you guys do? You get together? Like, she says, you're worse than a sewing circle. Yeah. So she's basically like, you guys gossip all the time. But she doesn't deny it. She yeah. doesn't deny it. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. She doesn't say, like, that's not what happened. She's like, you think that's reasonable? And he's like, well, I don't think it's reasonable, but I think it's possible, essentially. And then she's like, well, you little gossiping hens, you. And that's it. (laughs) Right? Which makes me wonder the things that he's actually done, because that's what people would think, like, oh, my gosh, they touched touched the wife's foot. So he had them thrown out a window. And, like, that kind of leads into the scene where... Um, the 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 rape scene. It's, yeah. It is what it is. That's what um, it is. Where he he says like he's saying to the guy, the cop who was the person who was the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. He's just like you're gonna have a really short agonizing life, and he starts like just little things that he says that you're like, this is not someone I would want to piss off normally. But the things that he leads towards it, and he doesn't like Quentin Tarantino doesn't show the cop getting tortured. He leaves it up to our imaginations, which is almost like the worst type of violence because we automatic we know what scares us the most. So we're automatically being like, oh, my gosh, because what scares me the most might be different to you mm-hmm. and to anybody else. So it's like that is probably the most violent, which is funny because that makes us just like the men who are like, oh, yeah, he threw him out a window because he touched his foot. And we're like, oh, yeah, Marcellus is going to fuck this guy up real bad yeah yeah we don't know what he's gonna do but he's gonna go medieval on their asses whatever that means <laughs> yeah. but it does not sound good the medieval no, times the medieval were not times pleasant were, 
terrible. Yeah, bad times. They called them the dark ages. Yeah. <laughs> that don't sound good to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It mm-hmm. is it is very very interesting how we don't really know what happened with the whole foot massage situation, but I also think it's an excellent way of establishing the stakes for the ODing because then it's like, oh man, somebody else maybe touched her foot and now and then got thrown out of a four-story window. This guy is going to kill her. Like, yeah. It's not explicitly his fault, but he also was responsible for her when this happened. And yeah. uh, his boss is probably not going to like it if he ends up killing his wife. Yeah. So, or even finding out that he uh, like got her into a situation where she would OD. Like, not to yeah. say that she has no self power or like mm-hmm. self will or anything like that, but like. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine taking my boss's like significant other out to party and then uh, having them OD and then oh. having to stab them with a needle like <sighs> So the thing that I was going to bring up and like this is this is sort of a it's hard I don't think there's any sort of conclusion to this or any answer to this question really, but it is a very explicitly American white male perspective film. And I I don't just mean, like, white male perspective film like most of them are, but, like, specifically, like, American white boy perspective a lot of the time. Except for, I guess, the very beginning when that guy's actually, like, English. I think Tim Roth. Um, He has an accent. He's from somewhere. Um, It's not – that's not America. He is is from England. That's his natural accent. That's his natural accent. Yeah, I'm like, he's not from – he didn't sound like everybody else. Um, But, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting the framing of – the watch like the gold watch being Mm. being this passed down through like army vet after army vet after being shoved up in someone else's butthole to being you know brought out to you which also the fantastic line to be like and then he passed it to this person and then he passed it to this person and then we had it and it was in my ass for seven years (laughs) (laughs) oh and when he's like yeah your dad died of dysentery yeah Yeah, watch probably gave him some form of like a bug or poisoning or something might have had something to do with the fact that he had a piece of metal in his ass for five years just gonna put it out there oh man but but i do think it's interesting like how often there's racial slurs um used against like um asian people specifically because there's a bit of like there's a lot of yellow peril in this film there's a lot of like so much slur in throughout this whole thing yeah um which i think is very specific to the time it was the Mm -hmm. 90s and Mm -hmm. not to say that people were left and right saying all these slurs in the 90s i mean i don't remember that that much yeah. i wasn't even born yet I got, oh baby. my goodness <laughs> gracious oh well i was <laughs> sorry that's like an awful thing to say i was born in 98 i was coming strong in a little bit <laughs> i was born a full 10 years ahead of you so it's not good <laughs> oh. but like i think it's just very reflective of that time of like being in Los Angeles, not that I was in Los Angeles at that time, but it was very reflective of like that time and what people assumed people were like. Um, and I think also just saying racial slurs every year that we're going along in our world, we're changing our dialogue. And so certain things that were okay to say are all of a sudden not and like there's good reasons why because mm-hmm. um, like if we went back to like the 1950s people were saying some words that we would never say yeah and like Quentin Tarantino doesn't shy away from that and I I 
I like that he doesn't shy away from that. It's almost like he's held up a mirror being like, well, this is what's going on. And I know a lot of people get upset with him, uh, especially for certain movies where he has strong dialogue, where they're like, well, you don't need to write that in. And it's like, okay, well, that's what was happening. Like, that's what was going on. And if we're just going to ignore that, I think that that just kind of, I want to say whitewashes, but like... It just gets rid of what actually happened. So we cannot feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's okay. Like, we need to own up to it. Mm -hmm. And watching that movie, especially yesterday when I watched it just again, I was like, oh, man, yeah, they say a lot of racist stuff. Like, a lot of racist stuff. And I'm like, why does this one word upset me more than the other word? That's Mm -hmm. self-reflection for me to dig in and, like, figure out, okay, why am I okay with that word? Not going to say any of them. Yeah. Because they are not my words to say. Nope. Um, (laughs) And, like, that's the same as, like, um, in his movie... Uh, Django Unchained there's Mm -hmm. it's really well known fact that Leonardo DiCaprio had difficulty with the one dinner scene because of how many times they were saying a specific racial slur Mm -hmm. and Samuel Jackson another Quentin classic Mm -hmm. pulls him aside and says he's like this is another Tuesday for us so you need to like you need to own up to it and I know a lot of actors who do play characters who are racist struggle with that and it's like you should struggle with it. That's a good yeah. thing. You if should you be uncomfortable. Yeah. And there are also stories that should be told. We need to know, like, hey, we owned people. We put them in slavery for years and years, and we were shitty ancestors. Yeah. Like, yeah we developed things like peanut butter and other great things, but, like, I don't even think we developed peanut butter. No, I think that's the one huge outlier, actually. <laughs> there's, a um, lot of, there's a lot of stuff that black people invented, but peanut butter is one of them. Yeah, the moment I said it, I was like, that's not back, backpedal, backpedal. Oh, no. <laughs> it's very funny that that's the one your brain went to. Probably I because know. it's like, actually, you know where where I've heard that? John Mulaney has a bit about that. He's like, white people invented a bunch of stuff. Everything but peanut butter is what I was told, which is not, <laughs> not true at all. But also like a fun, very funny thing to say. Um, because, I was trying to think of something delicious. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Um, white people, delicious things. Maybe, that's one that know. stumps me. Like to think of delicious thing i mean i feel like a lot of the flavor comes from elsewhere like i okay the audacity <laughs> of like british people to invade my country for spices and not use them is so too much for me to think about i'm like you came you were there for 200 years and never learned how to cook <laughs> what the hell is a bean on a toast get out of here um i'm joking my, my family loves beans on toast but <laughs> i don't like to admit that to anybody um but yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right though to some to some degree. I think I think the actual like when it comes down to how it affects the audience, like I think mm. every person's going to have a different reaction to that and I would be really curious about the way that, you know, of course if there's explicit racial violence being portrayed on screen that's gonna elicit different reactions from different people based on their own life and trauma and experiences so i would be curious about you know how that affects like if you're if you have like people being enslaved on stage on stage or on screen that's obviously going to be a different experience for a black audience member than it is for a white audience member and i would hope that there is some sense of responsibility that a white audience member feels in watching this stuff like not that you're currently in slaving anybody but that you're at least thinking about where you come from yeah and like the the advantages that we have because of that that's huge yeah and and i i I don't know 
I think this is something I was discussing in the last podcast episode too. Like, I think that when it comes down to the individual responsibility of audience members, it's really just like a, like it's a luck of the draw. Like depending on who you are, you're going to take something from it or you're not. You know? Yeah. And like, you're going to get offended over something or you're not. Or you're not. And like, I always find it so funny when people get offended over certain things, but not others. Like it's, it's. Like, certain things that offended people were, was the rape scene. Mm. They were offended by that, but they weren't offended by the violence or they were offended by the language and they weren't offended by the rape scene. Like, there's just so many different degrees where, like, if someone's like, yeah, this is wrong. And I'm like, okay, but that all that other stuff was okay. Like, yeah, I think everyone's got different personal boundaries, right? And it'll never yeah. be, you'll never be able to please everyone. I do think, like in order to understand it on a greater level and like as a as a cultural phenomenon in Tarantino films plural I would need to watch a bunch of them to have like any kind of opinion on it but I mean at least in this film I'll be honest like I thought this movie was kind of good I thought this film was kind of good I'll say it I'll put it up someone tell QT yeah Rahat thinks it's kind of good I think here we go hey I know that was the opinion everyone was waiting for (laughs) when it comes to Pulp Fiction it was my opinion that everyone was waiting for and I have one that's pretty good (laughs) All right. I've seen it. All right. Okay. I watched it. It was pretty good. Um, I I think it's like, you know what's funny? And like, maybe some people will hate this, but there was elements where I was reminded because I've seen this movie first. I know this is a controversial film for some people, but you know, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet. Is that the one with the guns? That's the one with the hot Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes, I do know that yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. There's just like elements where something something about this film reminded me of that film. I can't quite put a finger on it. Maybe hmm. it's the guns. <laughs> but yeah, that could be it. <laughs> it, just, it could just be the violence. But I don't know. There was something like fun and fast paced about like the energy of the movie where I was like, I, yeah, okay, I kind of get it. I also just think, yeah, I think the comedy and violence aspect keeps it from even though it's so extremely dark, I think it's like it knows very smartly where to distance the audience from the violence just enough that they mm-hmm. can laugh at it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, thinking of all the scenes, like, every scene, and they're all told it's – it's this is classic QT, like, this yeah. whole film, especially, like, the, the lettering that comes up and it'll say the person's name. Like, that's classic him. You're going to see it. When we watch Kill Bill, yeah. you're going to see it. Exciting. And, like, you'll see it in Inglorious Bastards, like, Django. Like, you will see it, and you'll be like, oh, I get it now. But, like, yeah, that's his, that's his kind of thing. And I would even say in – Two of those other movies, Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, it's almost like he went in and rewrote history a bit, more so Inglorious Bastards, because he rewrites it how a lot of us wish it would have gone mm-hmm. um, instead of how it ended up. And he's started to do that now, like once upon a time in Hollywood. He's rewriting it. And there's something cathartic about it because it's almost like us as a world get to be like, oh, yeah, I really wish that's how history would have happened. I I wish, you know, that Manson family wouldn't have murdered all those people and that someone had took them out with dog food. (laughs) That'll make a lot more sense when you watch it. Yeah, Uh, that means those are just words to me right now. but, (laughs) But I'm excited to understand. And it's almost like it's a release, but he's doing it in a way that isn't like white savior. Mm. And like that's a lot of the times I find a lot of films will like they'll be like, well, this only happened because like a white person came along and helped these people. And in the films, he's like, like, granted, there's a ton of white people in them. Those were the times. Um, But he like writes it together to be like, listen, we're going to destroy some shit. Like, let's do this. 
Yeah. Nice. That's what I like. I, d- I will say one final note about the film for myself is I really enjoyed the character of the wolf. He comes in with like a Olivia Pope from Scandal Energy. Like, he's like, hi, I'm here to solve problems. And I was yeah. like, yes. I was like, what is Olivia Pope up in this bitch? I swear <laughs> to God, if they, if they like ever, if I did like a version of this film, if I like put it on stage or something, or I made like a mock version of this movie, I would just have that character be Olivia like Pope from Scandal and be like, Hi, I'm the fixer. I'm here to the fix. Um, I love it. And I, he he wanted to work with that actor again because he worked with him in Reservoir Dogs and he mm-hmm. loved it. So he wrote The Wolf with him in mind. And like, I just love how how Vincent was like, you could say please. And Jules oh. is like, why, 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 Oh my God. Why? I, every time Vincent speaks sometimes, like in, in, and not in the scenes where it's like him and Uma Thurman, but like in other scenes, I'm like, hey, v- Vincent, shut the fuck up. Right? And like, I, how are you alive? I like that at one point, I think at the very end of the film, Samuel L. Jackson is like, Vincent, shut the fuck up. And I'm like, thank you. You should have said it a long yeah. time ago, but I yeah. appreciate that you're saying it now. Because Vincent's literally like, Look, if you let this situation get resolved, I'm gonna fuck it up again. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> as Jackson, he's like trying to fix it. He's like, I'm gonna give this guy this money. This thing is gonna be over. And he's like, Listen, if you if you handle this reasonably, I'm gonna be an asshole. Hey, man, <laughs> maybe don't. Yeah, and I think that I think that really ties into the fact that like Vincent, it, we're we've been talking about race. So like Vincent is a white guy, mm-hmm. and Jules is a black man and like he literally just is like okay I'm in this super shitty situation and he says he's like you're not the first person who's put a gun in my face Mm -hmm. like you're not popping a cherry here so like I'm gonna let you down on that and he talks him down whereas Vincent who's like deep into drugs and almost has that white male entitlement coming off uh, like unearned confidence yeah I don't know if you've ever heard of it I've never met a white guy actually Um, but he kind of comes out and that that plays throughout the whole movie especially like with Vince like um, when he says to Mr. Wolf like oh you could say please and when he meets Butch he's even like a little shit towards him and Butch and that's what I think ignites for Butch to throw like yeah and I thought it was really interesting watching it around the second time where I was like he doesn't know it obviously but he sealed his fate in that moment yeah because I think had that moment between them gone differently, maybe he wouldn't have died. Right? It could have been different. Like, maybe he still would have. Maybe he could have been, like, best pals, and he still would have shot him. I don't know. But I, <laughs> but I think that moment where he was unnecessarily a dick to Butch, yeah. he sealed his fate. And those were the two, the only two scenes with them together was them yeah. staring at one another. And it was, like, in that first one... Vincent had the upper hand and it was like even though Bruce Willis is playing a boxer and he would have been in like intense boxing shape it's like Mm -hmm. if he were to have touched Vincent in that moment everyone would have killed him yeah so like then all of a sudden the tables are turned and Butch is like yeah I'm taking you down like you were an asshole also you're gonna try and kill me if I don't exactly it's one or the other someone's dying go ahead I was just going to say, um, he does such a good job. Um, the actor who plays Vincent, um, John Travolta, he does such a good job portraying the du- the drug addiction. Um, he actually, he had chatted with somebody um, about it because he didn't want to do the drugs, but he was like, I want to actually portray it properly. And the person told him it's like taking shots of tequila in a bath. And so he actually tried that with his wife, which I was like, that just sounds dangerous. Like, yeah. please don't drown in a bath. <laughs> that would but be like, a sad watching, way to go. Yeah. Watching him the way his eyes are and the way 
he says things like his mouth gets a little bit smaller mm-hmm. and like his eyes it's like you can see him like looking around being like is this actually happening mm-hmm. is, did they actually ask me that and it's so interesting to see because like I like watching that I'm like oh my gosh I've seen my friends do that yep 100% like that like oh it's I love it when people do things accurately and well yeah. and I'm not like anytime you get a heroin person you have to shoot up like it's just <laughs> Just portray it well. Do it justice. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, you know, drug abuse is a huge thing. It's, not, it's like used, drugs are used by a lot of people, especially if they're involved in, like, other things that are also mentioned and used in this movie, like, with anything to do with crime. And, and these people, like, they, uh, the, guy, the wolf guy is like, get out of the sticks. Like, these people are not wealthy people. They're coming from, like, you know, rougher neighborhoods and uh, difficult lives. And so, like understandable but yeah i think doing it with care and being able to do it well as an actor like that's got to be your responsibility to make it real i also thought it was interesting when he walks into mia's house like he's kind of walking around like where the fuck am i because he's like just shot like you can see it in his body language where you're, you're like this guy does like he's like he's not sober and you can yeah. absolutely tell with just the way that he walks into the house it's like very oh, very when he weird. talks into the intercom for the first yeah, time yeah oh my button, he just goes hello <laughs> she's like make yourself a drink and he's like okay yeah like riveting dialogue i love it and like it says so much he literally says the shortest lines but it says so much about the character and i just love that so much oh it's well done so well done I guess we've, I guess we've like come around to the fact that, I mean, I guess I like this movie. Call me crazy, but I guess I like Pulp Fiction. Very, very unpopular opinion. Yeah. Um, Definitely hot take is, oh, I guess it's, I guess it's kind of good. I would be, I would be interested in hearing um, like what the criticisms are for this film, like outside of like the extremely religious ones, Mm. Um, like, because I, I don't care if you're like, oh, but God, like, I don't care. Um, But like, if you have other criticisms about this film, do you know if there's major criticisms about this film? Oh, gosh. Like, I mean, I imagine there are. I just haven't looked for them. That's fair. The only thing is like, I know there was a continuity error at one point. I'm, I'm sure there are more than one. But the one that I notice is when Mia's on the couch and like her, the jacket that's like on her, it like changes like, it's like she's taking it off and then it's on her again. That's the only thing. But, like, I honestly can't think of if there's any, like, really big... I also haven't looked for them, though. No, that's I, fair. I, I mean, I if you're, if you're like, it. yeah, if you're a fan and you're like, I love this movie, like, I, I can imagine you wouldn't want to go out of your way to be like, but does anyone hate it? <laughs> yeah. Does anyone want to tell me why I shouldn't like yeah. it? Yeah. Anybody want to be like, actually, this sucks? Because uh, that's, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. I just, yeah, I, I, I think there are things that people feel about Tarantino films in general that can also mm-hmm. be applied to this film. Lots of white people saying the N-word with the hard R. But I, you know, I wouldn't say that that needs to be taken out of the film entirely because it's not like it doesn't happen in real life like you said I'm not opposed to depicting it if you know it's realistic but I also yeah I'd be curious about getting you know the opinions of people who would be personal effect personally affected by that to understand a bit more about you know what the criticism there really is because I I think that outside of this film by itself across the filmography um the entire thing created by Quentin Tarantino QT like I think there's a lot of um there are a lot of criticisms of him and of his work and Mm -hmm. again I'm not entirely opposed to 
violence in films i understand that a lot of people are really into violence in films right but i yeah I, i'm it's not like my favorite thing <laughs> like i'm not yeah. like hell yeah baby give me some murder like i'm not like I, <laughs> like i grew up watching like rom-coms i'm like is there an airport scene at the end yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> do i suddenly realize love was there all along was the main conflict a misunderstanding like <laughs> If not, then, you know, it's different from what I grew up with. And that's fine. Like, I know that violence is a very beloved thing in a lot of films. And people like watching cars explode and shit. Like, and I, I'm not opposed to it. I thought the violence in this film was at least well done. Mm, yes. In this film, it was well done. Yes, it was graphic. Yes, there's moments where it made me uncomfortable. But I think if it didn't, that would be weird. Um, exactly. So it's it's well done enough, and I thought the usage of of being able to juxtapose it with the way that it was used, being able to juxtapose it with humor, is is a pretty skillfully thing. Hello, it's a pretty cool <laughs> thing to be able to accomplish. Words are hard sometimes. Ah, yeah, I just just me, the whole podcast host, learn how to speak. <laughs> I would say, like the one thing that stuck out to me the other day, which I hadn't noticed before, was there's the scene where they first enter that apartment, um, Jules and Vincent, and they shoot everybody except for the one guy, and he's like crouched down in the corner, and Vincent is like, is like, is he a friend of yours? He says that to Jules, and I remember being like, why would he say that? Like, is he supposed to know him? Was he an informant? And then it kind of dawned on me. I was like, maybe he said that because the guy crouching down was also black. And that was like a common thing where people would be like, oh, you guys must be friends because you're both of the same race or you're the same sexuality. You must be the, you know, like. You must date each other. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, and that like gave me pause. But then I was like, am I thinking too much into it? Like, but then that's also like, that's the time. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it does make you think about about. I think it made me think about like what was LA like in the '90s for everybody. You know, obviously yeah. I don't know. And um, in this world of violence and you know gangs and um, kingpins and, and drug lords and you know like all of this stuff that's going down. Like I think it was an interesting exploration. It was. Yeah. It made me think about stuff that I hadn't thought about, and it was an enjoyable film uh, throughout for me. Um, there was moments in it where I felt uncomfortable and I think that's media, baby. I think that's film. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel happy with that discussion. Is there anything else you want to really say about Pulp Fiction before we go? Like, cause you know, one thing that I wouldn't do is like categorize a whole grouping of people as people who are fans of Pulp Fiction because it's one film. I think it's just one film that's loved by a lot of people. I would say there's maybe a category of people that would qualify themselves as Tarantino fans. Mm. Um, but, you know, as a Tarantino fan, like, and, and as someone who loves this film, like, anything else you want to say to the people listening? Um, I would say if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. This film was actually chosen, I want to say, in 2003. It might have been 2013. I could be off by a decade. But it was chosen to be preserved because it affected media so much. It Like, so many films were inspired and made because of this film. So, like, definitely check it out. And, and like you say, if, if it, like, makes you question some things, it makes you not feel good at certain parts, like, ask yourself why. And it also should not make you feel good at certain parts. Um, but that's what I would leave people with is just watch it. And then tell us what you think. Hell yeah. I would love to know what people think about this movie because it, it did make me think. And I think there's a lot that any person watching this will take away from it um, based on their own life experience. 
and mm-hmm. I'm really curious about different people's reaction. And if you want to tell me more about what you think, hit me up and tell me about it. Okay. I want to thank you so much, Kennedy, for being here and being thank my guest. Me. I'm so excited. Perhaps when we do Kill Bill, I'll just have you right back. Oh my gosh, I would love that. Volumes uh, one and two. Ooh. Exactly. Two whole films and Uma Thurman's in both of them. Oh, yes. <laughs> Well, folks, that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to say a huge thank you to Kennedy Sloan for being such a wonderful guest. Check her out on social media. The link to her Instagram will be in the episode description. Also, I want to clarify something that I said in this episode, because we hate to be misconstrued. I stated that people should not be idolized as they are likely to make a mistake and disappoint at one time or another, and I stand by that. However, I do believe that there is a big difference between people making a mistake and learning from it, and people exhibiting a pattern of behavior that is harmful and never experiencing remorse, facing consequences, or changing their actions. I do not wish to conflate the two. Now, which of these sounds more like Mr. Quentin Tarantino? I guess that's for you to decide for yourself. If you'd like to share your thoughts about this or anything else that we discussed in the podcast, or if you'd like to recommend a film or TV show that you think I should watch, you can join the OK Fine community Discord. We can chat, hang out, and even watch things together. I'm currently watching Avatar The Last Airbender for an episode that will be coming out later on, so if you want to hang out and watch TV together, feel free to join the community. You can find the link to the Discord in the bio of our brand new podcast Instagram, at it. No apostrophe, obviously, so at it, but you get it. Follow the account and keep up with what I'm watching next, and you'll have plenty of time to watch or re-watch the media and come to each episode with context. Or don't. You don't have to have context. You can just be in for the ride. So once again, the link to the Discord is in the bio of the new Instagram, at it. Also, please remember to subscribe to the podcast or follow it, and that way you won't miss an episode, and rate and review if you liked this episode. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rahatsani and at Rahati on TikTok, just for fun, so you can look at my face. (laughs) And that's everything from me. If you join the Discord, I will see you there. Okay, bye!